Hello and welcome back to the Penalty Box Podcast. Liam Godmer here alongside my good friend and co-host Will Peshek as we are here to bring you all things NHL uh, from the last time that we met. And Will, let's start off by talking about the New York Islanders and they had a huge victory last night over the Washington Capitals putting up eight goals. And Will, I texted you during that game, the Capitals might be the biggest frauds in the NHL. But we'll talk about them a little bit later. Give me your thoughts on the Islanders, because they had a they had a great game last night. Matthew Barzell showed out. Yeah, I thought they played really well. Matt Barzell's finally coming around. He had about a six, seven, eight-game stretch, ten-game stretch even, where he just he couldn't find any offensive punch. And you go back, I remember I texted you during the game. Last week during the blowout they had against Pittsburgh, Barzell had about two points and a goal. And I said, this is really going to ignite Barzell to go off now because he's been quiet for so long. And sure enough, it has. And he's been, you know, prolific for the Islanders. And I know um, a lot of the tweets I've seen, a lot of Ranger fans want to say Strom is better than Barzell because of the stats. And I don't know how, how Ryan Strom could do what Matt Barzell just did there. Um, he went coast to coast. All the playmaking, swinging the puck at him in the air like a baseball swing on opening day. Uh, I I know Strom's a great player, but after seeing what Barzell just did, I mean, I I think it's a no-brainer for me. <laughs> but again, I, I don't think <laughs> right, and, and I don't think any Ranger fan uh, seriously uh, touts uh, Ryan Strom over Matthew Barzell. Sure, the statistics tell a different story, uh, but that's the thing with Barzell, right? I don't know if they still do now because it was five point effort last night. I think it's close. I think Strom still has maybe a two, three point edge. But again, that's besides the point. You know, Barzell struggles with consistency a little bit. But when he is on and when Matthew Barzell plays uh, like we know he is capable of, he's unstoppable out there. Let's not forget that he could have had five goals last night, but Ilya Samsonov, you know, bared down the hatchets after a really bad first and second period and, you know, put the clamps on Barzell. So he could have a seven point game with, with, Five goals. And I know people on Twitter, Tom Galitti, who covers the Capitals yep. uh, or, or covers the East region for Twitter, said Barzell could finish the game with seven goals if, if, if Sansonov was not sharp. When Barzell has room to skate with the puck and make plays and create space for himself and his teammates, that's when he's at his best. And the Capitals all season, as good as they are on the power play, offensively with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and Backstrom and Oshie, they speak for themselves, but their defense is not great. They seem to be lackadaisical at times. And this was a perfect scenario for Matt Barzell to really get going uh, and put up a bunch of points. And he did last night and he deserves all the credit where it's due. And from one Ranger fan to hopefully many Ranger fans listening on this podcast, no, Ryan Strom is not better than Matthew Barzell. Uh, Barzell is one of the most dynamic players I've ever laid my eyes on. And if he can find consistency, uh, we have quite a player on let our me, hands. And even without that, we do. Let me ask you this question. After seeing the Capitals, and the top four that are in the playoffs right now in the East. It's a three-way tie for first. The Islanders, the Capitals, the Penguins, and then, of course, you have the Boston Bruins. Out of those four, Liam, there's only two that I could see making a deep playoff run from the East. That's the Islanders and potentially the Boston Bruins. The Capitals, are, I don't think, are going to go far in the postseason, and the Penguins, they're not built for the postseason. Yeah, you know, for me, look, this top four is very interesting. Pittsburgh has, you know, uh, obviously blown up my expectations. You know, obviously I had them towards the bottom of this division. Uh, they've come out and they've played very well. They've done well through injury. Tristan Jari uh, has been better than he was advertised. They traded out Matt Murray. Jari came in. And he's been uh, exceptional. 
But if you're asking me which two teams are going to make a big playoff run, I think it's two of these three being Washington, the Islanders and Boston. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, I think we've seen, you know, in the past years, as good as they have been in the regular season and they have been great. Once they get into the playoffs, it's a big disappointment. You know, we saw it against the Montreal Canadiens in the play-in round uh, in the bubble last year. We saw it against the New York Islanders the year before that, getting swept in four games. So they just don't give me a lot of confidence right now. Washington, you always have to have them on their radar, uh, but I don't see them as a top team. I predicted that the Islanders were going to be number one in this division, and they're seeming, you know, to be proving me right early on here. Boston, again, they're having trouble finding their footing. They're at 41 points right now through 33 games. That's a little disappointing. So they need to pick it up when all these other teams, look, Pittsburgh's playing great hockey. The Islanders are playing great hockey. And prior to these games against the New York teams, Washington was playing great hockey as well. Can I just say something? I think that the Philadelphia Flyers are the most overrated hockey team in the NHL. Um, They are just not good. They are not good. And Elaine Vigneault, sorry, if you missed the playoffs, you absolutely should be fired. I mean, this team is an absolute joke right now. You lost to Buffalo, who was on an 18-game losing streak, and he didn't just lose to them. You lost in embarrassing fashion. You scored one goal against the Buffalo's grade F goaltending and D minus defense. I mean, that's embarrassing. I mean, that's an embarrassing effort by the Philadelphia Flyers. They have not been good. They have not been good. Carter Hart, he's on Saturn right now. And he was on earth last year with his spectacular play. I'm sorry, but I, I saw it as a stat. You might know it as a Ranger fan. Elaine Vigneault is successful in his first season as head coach and the rest go downhill from there. I don't know if that's accurate, but is he the answer in Philadelphia long-term? I don't know. Well, that's a very accurate statement. And if you look back to 2011, when Elaine Vigneault first got, you know, real sustainable success, it was with the Vancouver Canucks. He took the Canucks to the Stanley Cup final against the Boston Bruins. Obviously, we know what happened. They lost in seven games and riots ensued in the city of Vancouver. After that, the Canucks were a middling playoff team. They were old. They were, you know, ready to rebuild. And they reminded me of a certain team. Let me try to formulate it in my head. Yeah, that's right. The Philadelphia Flyers, right? Uh, You know, he goes on to the New York Rangers. He helps get the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final in 2014. The Rangers are an experienced group that start to deteriorate after that 14 Cup final. They went to the Eastern Conference final in 2015. But if you look in 2016, 2017, and the last year, Elaine Vigneault was the Rangers coach, which was actually in 2017. uh, They looked like a shell of themselves. And, Will, I do want to have a huge discussion on the Philadelphia Flyers, but the one stat that stands out to me, and I talk about it every episode with whatever team that we talk about, it's goal differential. And my goodness, do you want to take a guess without looking what the Philadelphia Flyers goal differential is right now? Minus 30? It's minus 22. But that really goes to show you where they are in this Mass Mutual Eastern Division. And, and, and it's not just the goaltending. Uh, Travis Sanheim yeah. and the defense outside of Ivan Provorov, they just got to strip it down. I the, mean, Jake Gossesberg getting put on waivers, is he the reason why we're struggling defensively? It's, no, this, it's the system that Elaine Vigneault puts out there, you know? I like to say that he's the opposite of John Tortorella. Tortorella is going to have you play exceptional defense, lay your body on the line every single shift. Vigneault is a little more lackadaisical. You know, he wants to focus on the offensive, you know, uh, part of the ice, but you and, can't and just forget, do that. Don't let, don't let the playoff series fool you. Although it was seven games, the Islanders outplayed Philadelphia in all seven of those games. Yes, they did. In order for Philadelphia to win, they had to force overtime. All of their wins came in overtime. 
And that's exactly it. It's very telling that all of the victories for the Flyers were in OT. They failed throughout the entire series to put the Islanders away in regulation. And that's what good teams do. But Will, one last thing on the goal differential. Right now, Philadelphia is fifth in this division. Behind them at sixth with one game in hand uh, is the New York Rangers. They're tied at 38 points. Philadelphia's goal differential, like I said before, is minus 22. The Rangers are at a plus 18. That just goes to show you, look, they're at the same number of points. But the difference in the way that these two teams have performed early on this season is startling. I would say that the Rangers are better than the Flyers. I, I, you know, I absolutely would. Um, it, if you asked me that last year, I would say no because of how well they – and look, the Flyers ended the season really hot. Before mm-hmm. the postseason – or I'm sorry, be, before COVID hit and they had to sh- shut down the season, the Flyers were one of the hottest teams in the league. Yep, they were. And that's why a lot of people, including myself, uh, decided to put Philadelphia in the top four before the season. And I looked at that playoff run and I said, hey, you know, they struggled a little bit uh, against Montreal in that opening round. Again, the Islanders, what happened against them? They failed to get a regulation victory. But then I went back in my mind and I said, wow, before this break, the Philadelphia Flyers were the best team in hockey. I remember one of the first games prior to the pause was against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. The Flyers absolutely dominated that game. And I looked at that from a macros perspective. I looked at the big picture. I saw Carter Hart and Brian Elliott, a great goalie tandem at the time. I saw Ivan Provorov, Shane Gostaspare, Philip Myers, among others, Samuel Moran on that blue line. They're big. They're tough. They're physical. They're getting your face type guys. I was like, look, that's great. You combine that with Giroux, Boracek, and, uh, you know, the explosion of Kevin Hayes in his first year with the Flyers. I was like, wow, this could be a really good team. But you know what? It proves Newton's law. What can go wrong has gone wrong for the Philadelphia Flyers. And, man, when you look at that goaltending, it is yikes. (laughs) Yikes. I can't even talk about them anymore because it just makes my blood boil. Um, whenever you play them, it, it's almost like a free win. Like as long as you score the first goal, they're not coming back. <laughs> when the Flyers score the first couple of goals, the any team comes back. I mean, Buffalo. I mean, the Flyers did come back when they were down three nothing to Buffalo, but it is Buffalo, so like you can't read too much into it. But any other team is just. <sighs> and you know, Will, if you look at Carter Hart's stats. And I know you don't want to talk about the goaltending, but I think it's a topic that we have to discuss because it's just been that bad uh, this season early on. He is eight, nine and three this season. Okay. Sub 500 record, a 4.04 goals against average and an 869 save percentage. That is not good. And I bet if you looked at Brian Elliott's statistics from this season, I bet you are going to see a very um, similar story. And not good either. I, right now it is checking uh, he's, he's nine five and one with a 2.99 goals against average. Okay, that's pretty decent. But an 888 save percentage is really uh, where the problems start to come uh, for Brian Elliott. Uh, but look, and Will, I want to get your thoughts on this. I think that it's more of a defense issue than it is a goaltending issue. Has Carter Hart played up to expectations? No. Is he 22 years old and young and perhaps rushed to the NHL? Yes. Uh, I think that this defense has been terrible. I think that Vigneault has the Flyers. And I'll go back to what I said before. Elaine Vigneault has the Flyers playing such an offensive style of game. I think they just forget about the defensive end. 
Like, oh, let's get all these guys up into the play. And then before they know it, it's odd man rush after odd man rush after odd man rush after odd man rush. And if a goal does not go into the back of the net, you probably take a penalty and you probably give up a goal anyway because the penalty kill is, is horrendous. So, Will, what do you think it is? Do you think it's more the goaltending of Brian well, Elliott defense. or do you think it's the defense? Because I, I think it's the defense. Travis Sanheim yeah. has been terrible. Phil Myers has been terrible. Yeah. Uh, except for Ivan Provorov, they just got to get a whole new defense out there. Uh, I mean, they really do. I mean, there's not many big defensemen on the uh, – uh, a Flyers fan said that they want Dustin Bufflin on their team because he brings that big body physical presence. Not playing a game that, in the NHL ever again. Is that Philadelphia back. needs? No, they do not need Dustin Bufflin. They need, I can tell you who they need. They need a clone of Ivan Provorov. They need five more of Ivan Provorovs to have success in the NHL. And I think they're just not getting it. Um, you want to know who I think is a realistic option for them? Mark Stahl at the trade deadline. Uh, he has one year left on his contract and he's a lot better than what they're putting out right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see a variety of players being added to this group and to this decor, but I'm going to say the problem is the defense. I love from Vancouver, if they want to take on that salary. Yeah, that could be interesting. But I again, I think the bigger picture here is Elaine Vigneault. And I think if you want to know why it's Elaine Vigneault, I'll take you to the New York Rangers. Will, prior to this season, you'd probably say that the New York Rangers defense in the last couple of years has not been good. It's not been their calling card. Uh, they're not a shutdown defensive team. But you know what they did? They went out in the offseason and they brought in Jacques Martin from the Pittsburgh Penguins, the defensive coach who led the Penguins to two Stanley Cups in the last six years. And suddenly the Rangers are a good defensive team. They're one of the top defensive teams in the entire division. You do not get a plus 19 uh, by being a poor defensive team. So the Rangers aren't that. I think they, I think the Flyers need a coaching change. I think the defense is an issue. And I think some of the personnel, like you said, Philip Myers, Travis Sanheim, that needs to be addressed. But I think it's a coaching issue. I think that the Philadelphia Flyers, they have reached their peak as long as Elaine Vigneault is the head coach. And I'd look elsewhere. And I think it's the same problem with the Washington Capitals. You got the Capitals and the Flyers, certainly in two different places right now, but they're both offensive-minded and defense takes a back seat. And that's why we're seeing results like 9-0 against the Rangers for the Flyers, 8-3 uh, to three against the Rangers against the Flyers just last week, and an 8-4 to four loss uh, for the Washington Capitals against the Islanders last night. Coaching, coaching, coaching. The best thing that Chuck Fletcher and the Philadelphia Flyers can do in the offseason is give Lane Vigneault the boot and move on to somebody else and restructure that. I'm sorry. I, I just saw something on Twitter that really just blew my mind, non-hockey uh, non related. Somebody just tweeted, and it's a Yankee fan from a verified site, that Mike Talkman is the best option at first base. Glad to see we all lost our minds after one game of 162. Love to see it, right? Love to see we all have lost our minds after game one of 162. We're at the topic for our baseball show, Big Apple Baseball a Podcast. We cover all Mets and Yankees. Be sure to check that out. And, of course, we have the Sensational Sports Tree where we talk about all baseball teams. And, of course, we cannot help but not talk about the Houston Astros getting booed their first in front of fans against the Oakland A's. We'll talk about that later on this week. But, Liam, to get to your point, I 100% agree with you. And there's a team out – there's a team in the West, a division in the North that I want to ask you about. Oh, you have to – we have to pump the brakes with the Toronto Maple Leafs winning that division. Because everybody in that division is on their heels. Uh, Montreal has played great. All of a sudden, you have Edmonton on their heels. And Winnipeg, nobody wants to talk about Winnipeg. I mean, we talk about them on this show constantly, how good Winnipeg is. They're right there as well. So it, it may not be Toronto's just yet. 
Yeah, you know, I think that the North Division is one of the more clear-cut divisions in the entire league, uh, to be honest. Can uh, Toronto fall out of first place? Yes, absolutely they could. Like you said, they got Edmonton uh, and Winnipeg uh, just four points behind them. Winnipeg is three points behind them. Edmonton is four points behind them. And the goal differential uh, is close. But uh, look, the Maple Leafs are making it work without Freddie Anderson. Uh, Jack Campbell uh, has not been great. Uh, you know, and Michael Hutchinson's there as well. We saw what he was able to do for the Avalanche in the playoffs last year. Uh, but yeah, I think, honestly, and, and this would be my next question for you. Do you think that the top four, no matter where they end up seeding out, do you think that's the top four at season's end? Right now it's Toronto one, Winnipeg two, Edmonton yeah. three, and no. Montreal four with Calgary, Vancouver, and Ottawa missing. I don't see Ottawa coming in, obviously. I don't see Vancouver coming in. Maybe I could see Calgary posing a threat to me. Calgary and Vancouver are both six points behind Montreal. But, but Montreal has been a very streaky team this season. So um, they get caught in a six-game yeah. bad stretch, and one of those teams gets hot. You know, I could totally see it, but I can see this, Liam. I can see Montreal being, being a threat to the first place team in that division. Cause I firmly believe that Montreal is going to finish fourth. Um, I think out of all the spots to seed, I think the best seed in, in my opinion is, is the three. And I think people that are afraid of Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers should be afraid. If you have to face Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and you're the number two seed, I take the number three over the number two. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Toronto. I don't care if it's Calgary. I don't care if it's, uh, Winnipeg. I'm taking Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl over any one of those teams in a first round playoff matchup. Mark my words. So I think it's not Toronto the beat. I think it's the Edmonton Oilers. I really, really do. They are a hungry team. McDavid has been in the playoffs once. Same with Dreisaitl. They want to prove something. And what a better way to do it than this one, four, two, three matchup. And I think I would take the Edmonton Oilers over anybody in that division in a seven game playoff series. You know, well, and, and, yeah. and, am I wrong for thinking that? I just think that they have one of the most prolific one-two punches in all of hockey, obviously, one of the best that ever was there. And I just think you cannot take them – you can't bet against them when it comes to the playoffs. You're not wrong for thinking that. And you're not wrong for thinking that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are going to have a major impact uh, in whatever the first-round series is coming out of the North Division. But here's my, uh, here's my little catalyst here for the Edmonton Oilers. I look back to previous results and the Edmonton Oilers had a huge, massive opportunity to turn to turn around the rhetoric that has been put out about them uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks in the play in uh, series last year in the bubble. And they lost to the Blackhawks. And I know the Blackhawks have been better this year. They've fallen off a little bit lately. That's unacceptable. And, you know, Look, right now it would be Winnipeg and Edmonton, 2-3 in that division. So that would be the seven-game series. They're separated by one point. Yes. I can't take Edmonton over Winnipeg. I just can't. Because I look at both teams and I see one is a complete team and one is an incomplete team. The Oilers, look, here's the good with the Edmonton Oilers. McDavid, Dreisaitl, Yamamoto, Tyson Berry. Here's the bad with the Edmonton Oilers. Goaltending. No, uh, the goaltending is not good. Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. It's decent, but I don't know if that wins a series against Connor Hellebuck uh, in, in a seven-game series. I just don't know. Uh, the defense uh, is very interesting. I'm not entirely sure where they're at. Uh, and, you know, the offense sometimes is inconsistent. If McDavid and Dreisaitl play 
like we know they are capable of playing, then yes, I give them a chance. And certainly I understand where you're coming from. But right now, if you ask me Winnipeg or Edmonton in a seven-game series, Winnipeg's got the better defense. Winnipeg's got the better goaltender. By far, Winnipeg's got the best goaltender in the entire division, maybe outside of Carey Price. Uh, and they look really good with Dubois and no distraction uh, that is named Patrick Laine. So, But regardless well, of way, that, I think the four is going to stay the same. By the way, Patrick Laine is really getting frustrated with John Tortorella there. You know, and it doesn't surprise me. I would like to figure out who thought it was a great idea to send them to play with Tortorella. And it's very interesting, Will, because look, uh, Patrick Laine is an RFA at the end of this season. I think it's an interesting topic to talk about. How much money... No one's gonna. No one's Do gonna you offer. pay Patrick Line if you're Yarmo Kekalainen? No one's gonna offer sheet him. Uh, you know that stuff just doesn't happen in the NHL anymore. But how much is he worth? He's had one goal in you know twenty something games, two goals in twenty something games. You know I get it. You moved to a new team, but you are a goal scorer. Patrick Line is a player that many expected to put up fifty goals. He's got two with the Blue Jackets, and it's not even that. If you look at that whole division, there's a team that I think is going to get the four spot over, of course, the Blackhawks who I picked. And you can see this turning the full throughout a little bit. Kevin Lankinen has come back to earth a little bit. Uh, you know, the goal thing is a question mark. Look at the Dallas Stars. They have a bunch of games in hand because they were that they had to delay their season. And I think they are in the best spot to get that number four seed over Nashville, who's been playing great. And I think they're going to be sellers at, at, at the deadline. Um, I, I think Forsberg's a goner. I think Granlin, who's a UFA, he's a goner. Um, I think the best team to get the four seed is the Dallas Stars there. And although they're far back, they have a bunch of games in hand to make up for. I think that the Dallas Stars, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, I think they're the most mediocre team in hockey right now. Uh, and look, if you want to know why, just look at their record. They're 12, 12, and 10. I mean, they can't win an overtime game for their life. And, you know, they're sitting at a plus three right now, which is encouraging. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I like Jake Ottinger. I like Anton Kudobin. Obviously, uh, Ben Bishop is out uh, for probably the remainder of the season, as is Tyler Sagan, or they're going to rejoin the Stars at the end of the year. But, um, look, I do agree that that four spot is wide open. Nashville's been playing a lot better hockey. But, again, I look at that goal differential, minus 17 for Nashville. That's a big oof. Chicago at a minus 10. Definitely a big oof. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets at a minus 25. I mean, my goodness, I would never have expected to see a John Tortorella team uh, be at a minus 25 this late into the season. But uh, Dallas certainly has a chance, but they need to rattle off some wins here. They need to start winning games when they're not supposed to win these games. That's what good teams do. And when you're sitting at 12, 12 and 10, that shows me that they're good on one third of the nights. They're poor on another third of the nights. And then the final third, they're playing overtime games where they can't find a victory. So, you know, take that for what you will. I wouldn't be surprised if they snuck into that four spot. I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville stayed there either. I think Chicago, Columbus, and Detroit, I think they're finished. Uh, I think that's – I think Columbus has been the biggest disappointment in the NHL this season. Uh, I think Chicago, I think they've fallen off the wheel here, uh, and Detroit is Detroit. So I think it's going to be Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, Nashville, and Dallas – the five teams battling uh, for the four spots uh, in the central. My bad. I was muted. It's all good. This whole Zoom thing, you would think I would figure it out by now after a year into the Zoom process, but I keep forgetting that. There are many others that haven't either. But, uh, Will, let's transition into the West Division yeah. here. 
Uh, I'm sorry. Do you want to make a point on the central? No, no, you did. I, Go for it. Um, look, Colorado. Yeah. Colorado Avalanche. Well, we – I predicted. I'm not sure about your prediction for the Stanley Cup. I don't know if we did one uh, on the Penalty Box podcast. But if I did, Colorado would have been on top of my list. I don't know if I would have picked them to win. But my goodness, Will. 35 games played, 23 wins, 8 losses, 4 overtime losses, plus 50 40. points, and a plus 47. Yeah. Uh, my I God. I think they're the team to beat in, in the West, and I think they're the team to beat out West. Um, they've been as advertised. And it pains me to say this, but Devon Taves has been a revelation on that blue line, and it's not a shock to me. Uh, he's an offensive-minded defenseman. And when you're playing under a Barry Trotz system, your offense kind of gets swiped under the rug. And we're seeing what he can do offensively, and it's a beauty to watch. He's finally making a name for himself, and I'm very happy for him, and I'm very happy for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, but, Liam, out of that whole division, did, I did not expect St. Louis to be a point over the, the, the cut line. Uh, they've been disappointing this season. Um, they're a minus 13. And if you want a team that could surpass them, I don't think it's Arizona. I think it's the LA Kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I predicted the LA Kings, and they've got the best goal differential uh, of the four seed through eight seed uh, in that West Division right now. They are at a perfect zero. So they're not giving up more goals and they're not letting up less goals. But look, I think that they can easily take it, but, Will, I think it's time for a rant for me, and uh, I have not ranted much on the Penalty Box podcast, on any podcast uh, that we do together, but the topic of my rant is going to be of the St. Louis Blues and the decision that they made in the last week to re-sign Jordan Bennington uh, uh, to this team. And this is – I mean, look, they signed him to an extension – Six years, $36 million, $6 million per season. I think, I'm just looking through it right now. Yeah, I, I think that, that that Jordan Bennington is probably one of the worst goaltenders in this West division. I think he is overrated. I think that he is Matt Murray cloned. Matt Murray went for the Pittsburgh Penguins after they lost Marc-Andre Fleury in the expansion draft, and he helped them win two Stanley Cups. Jordan Bennington helped the St. Louis Blues win a Stanley Cup against the Boston Bruins for the first time in nearly 50 years. It's not a good goalie. I think signing him for six years at $36 million is atrocious. And I think we're going to look at that contract. I would say not maybe this year, but maybe next year that, you know, and look, it's tough to say that a $6 million per year contract is a bad one. This is a bad contract. And I think Jordan Bennington is very overrated. And I think that he's the prime reason why the St. Louis Blues are at a minus 13 goal differential and why they are eight points behind the number three seed in this division, the Minnesota Wild. I would leave, it would make me laugh to have the LA Kings be the number four seed. And, and I think they're working hard for it. Although LA is a one line team, they want to make a name for themselves. Jonathan Quick and Drew Daddy want one more kick at the can with Anje Kopitar leading the group. Same with Dustin Brown, who could be a, a potential trade target for teams. Um, but it's just it, it's it's just really really shocking. Um, and if it doesn't work out in St. Louis, somebody will take Bennington. Literally, somebody will take Bennington. Um, you could even trade him to Seattle because. I don't know what goalies are going to be exposed. Maybe Mark andre Fleury again. Is this guy going to be the expansion king? Jordan Bennington 
was the backup goaltender to Malcolm Subban on the Providence Bruins two years ago. He's an AHL goaltender who went to the NHL. He went on a spectacular run, helped by a great defensive core of Colton Pareko and Alexander Petrangelo at the time and led the Blues to win the Stanley Cup. Since then, he's done absolutely nothing. Since then, uh, he has led the St. Louis Blues to get an absolutely obliterated by the Vancouver Canucks in the bubble. And now, because of Jordan Bennington mostly, and of course you can't discount the loss of Alex Petrangelo, they're going to miss the playoffs in the West Division. This is unacceptable. A minus 13 goal differential. They played one more game than the LA Kings. They're 16, 13, and 6. Look, six overtime loss points. That's a lot. That's a lot. And when it's three on three, there are not many other people to blame than your goaltender. And that's exactly who I'm blaming for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, it's a big fall from grace for Jordan Bennington. But, Will, uh, before we end the show, I want to talk about another goalie contract that just happened in the last couple of days. Thatcher Demko with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Five by five. Five by five. Yeah. Five years, $25 million. That's one year goals. less and one mil less than what Bennington is getting. Um, <laughs> Liam, I, I think it's too early to give him a contract. I think it's too early to give him a contract. Um, he hasn't really proven himself yet. Many people thought after the last year's bubble performance, he was the go-to number one starting goaltender, and he absolutely deserved it. This year, he has not shown it until recently. I think they jumped it on a little bit, but hey, they're Vancouver. Um, they make a lot of dumb decisions. Um, so we'll see where this goes. With this. Jim, Jim Benning. Uh, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. He, yes, he does make a lot of questionable decisions. And um, I, I think this one has the potential to be a questionable decision. This uh, kind of, yeah. uh, in my opinion, this kind of puts the writing on the wall that Braden Holpe is going to be exposed in it. And I think that was the plan right away. I think when they signed Braden Holpe, they said, look, no long-term deals. We'll give you a two-year deal, probably one year to prove yourself. And then look, we're going to have to let uh, one goaltender be unprotected come the expansion draft. And it ain't going to be Thatcher Demko. Uh, so it is going to be Braden Holpe. Would not surprise me one bit if Braden Holpe is a starting goaltender. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask yeah. you this question. Yeah. I, I've seen your tweets. Is yeah. Alexander Gorgiev the goalie to be exposed in the expansion draft? No. Because a, a lot of Ranger fans don't give him enough credit for it. <laughs> you no. keep saying when Keith Kincaid plays, I read your tweets. And they the guy stinks. Fun. The guy you stinks. Go, you, go, you go, people really think Keith Kincaid is better than Alexander Gorgiev. Come on. Come on, how long have you been watching hockey? Please, please. Yes, Georgiev hasn't been great. Oh, you want to hear a rant? Here's a rant. Georgiev hasn't been great early on this season. Don't get me wrong, but did people forget what this guy did for the Rangers last year? When the Rangers had Henrik Lundqvist on literally his last legs and they had Igor Shosturkin, who they did not want to bring up into the NHL prematurely, which was a great decision, who stepped in? Oh, yeah, this unknown 25-year-old from Bulgaria who's never seen NHL time, and he was spectacular. And then he has two poor games when the team is struggling to score goals and the team is struggling you know, to execute, and people want to rip on him. And Keith Kincaid, he's a nice guy. He's a funny guy. Well, uh, he's good for the team. Long Island native representing representing the island. And let me just say one more thing right, about Keith Kincaid. It just brought, brought it right back up to my mind. I believe it was four or five years ago, Keith Kincaid was just starting to get, you know, into the NHL with the New Jersey Devils. And he had a win against the Rangers. And after they asked him what his you know, thoughts were about beating the Rangers in this game, obviously, like you said, being from Long Island, 
He said, growing up and right now, I hate the ranges. And I was like, oh, okay. It's stuck in the back of my mind. Sure, Keith Kincaid, you know, he, he went through his ebbs and flows during the rest of his NHL career up until now. And now he comes on the Rangers. Everybody wants to forget about that comment, right? Oh, no, no. Yeah, he was just on the devil. Well, he was just Charlie on the Island kid. I don't yeah. know. If you saw Matthew Boyce when he was a kid, uh, he said, I absolutely hate the Boston Bruins. And then he got drafted by them. <laughs> Here's the thing about that. Yes, he was a kid when he said that. Keith Kincaid was in the National Hockey League coming off a game against the New York Rangers. Yeah, I hate the Rangers. Yeah, I hate them. And now he has one good game against the Boston Bruins where he got a shutout uh, and a 2 nothing victory. He only had to make 17 saves, by the way. So, you know, who, who deserves more of the credit, the defense, the coach, or the goaltender, right? Probably not the goaltender. And everybody in the Rangers community wants to say he's better. Uh, I'm not going to say that he stinks. As I know I said that earlier. He's been decent for the Rangers, but he's not Alexander Georgiev. Don't fool yourself. Please, don't fool yourself. And, you know, if you tell me that Keith Kincaid is better than Alex Georgiev and Keith Kincaid should be our full-time backup, it just shows me you haven't been watching hockey for a very long time. And I do not want to hear the explanation after Georgiev comes out in a must-win game uh, and has a dominating performance because that's the goaltender he is. He's not Igor Shosturkin, but he's not Keith Kincaid either. And, you know, um, it, it hurts when I see those tweets from the Rangers community and, you know, all that stuff, you know, well, and so Rangers I, Twitter is toxic as uh, it is. So I just heard something about King Kid before we wrap up the show. Yeah. Uh, that's years ago, Didi Gregoria started this trend with the Yankees that he does now with the Phillies, where he would use post-game emojis and kind of like explain what happened. Mm -hmm. so go hashtag start spreading the news. So-and-so emoji with a big blast. He does it with the Phillies now. It's a hashtag ring the bell. Keith Kincaid has now copied what he has done and has used his own kind of hashtag NYR. Like that's not original. I get it. Um, I like Keith Kincaid. He's a, he, he's a good person, but I don't know if, I don't know how, how Ranger fans like that. And that's what, you know, I, I said before that he's good for the team. Well, that's good for the team. Is he ripping off an idea from Didi Gregorius? Yes, but is he allowed to do that? Did Didi Gregorius copyright no. using the emojis? I would say probably not. So that's a good thing. Should he be starting in the net? No. No, he he really shouldn't. If you want to keep him as a social media person, just to have him on the sideline, provide some emojis after Rangers wins or losses, that's fine. But don't put him in the, in, in the net. Please just... Just don't do that. And uh, and look, I think Keith Kincaid, Alexander Georgiev talk is right up there in the Rangers Twitter community as far as discussions are concerned uh, with David Quinn being fired. But those uh, those talks uh, have subsided. And I would just like to say before that we end the show that I'm happy that David Quinn uh, has recovered from COVID-19 as well as the uh, entire coaching staff. Chris Knobloch did a tremendous job uh, in the absence in the Rangers Look, Will, before we end the show, they've been playing some great hockey. They are sneaking up right now on the Boston Bruins. And I don't know if you looked ahead in the schedule, Will, but this upcoming weekend, on Thursday, I believe, and on next Saturday, the Rangers have a nice meeting at Nassau Coliseum with the fans in the stands against the New York Islanders. Are you as excited for those two games yeah. as I am? It's going to be a lot of fun. Excuse me. Uh, hopefully there's more Islander fans and Ranger fans this time because – 
every time you have an Islander Ranger game at the Coliseum, it's mostly more Ranger fans than Islander fans. This goes to show which fan base has more, you know. Yes, but also the Rangers <laughs> are the kidding. Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But if we get a game like we saw last season where Brock Nelson tied it up in the final minute on a deflection beating, yes. Yes, he scored on Alexander Georgiev in that game. Um, but uh, and then Zabanajad, of course. Reason, he's been money against the Islanders. He's been great against the Islanders. He's been great against the Islanders. He has. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I, I really don't understand uh, how somebody could be dominating that team for their whole career, like Halak dominates the Rangers. And it's going to be very interesting to see if Keith Kincaid is still in the conversation once the Rangers play the Islanders next week, right? Because anybody you would expect as an Islander fan, and I would certainly expect as a Ranger fan, that Georgiev gets that start. Where do you go here if you're David Quinn? Do you go with Shesterkin, who's been playing lights out hockey? It, it is David Quinn, so you never know. It, 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 if he goes with Kincaid, I will not be happy. I'm going to text you and say we need an emergency podcast uh, to talk about this. It's Georgiev or Shesterkin. It is not that difficult. Please. Let me wrap up the show. Get it through your head. Um, Long Island native and Franklin Square native Shane Pinto, who played hockey for the University of North Dakota, who was the star player on the U.S. Uh, national team for the World Juniors, has now left college, and he has signed an entry-level contract with the Ottawa Senators. And That's fantastic. Will- and Shane Pinto has been a uh, big-time prospect uh, for the Senators for a long time. And I believe Jacob Bernard Docker also yep. – Signed with the so, Ottawa Senators. Uh, North Dakota actually played a dramatic five overtime game last weekend. I don't know if you saw that. I did not get to see it, but for those who watched it through and through, I <laughs> deserve did, some uh, credit. I, yeah, oh, I saw the third period on. I'll be the only one to say it that I watched. You still game. watched an entire game, right? <laughs> yes, 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 right. Um, four out of those five guys are drafted by Ottawa. You have the two defensemen, Bernard Docker, and the guy that they just drafted this year, uh, Jake Sanderson. Sanderson. And Pinto, and then somebody else. Um, so that's Ottawa, like North Dakota players, I guess. So that's why they did that. But good for. Um, and if there's if there's one thing that this Rangers rebuild has taught me early on here, it's that young players need time to develop, and they might need three, four, maybe even five years to develop into the player that they are meant to become. Same goes for the Ottawa Senators. It's going to be a very long time before the Senators reach their potential but they will get there, have some patience. And if that North Dakota game showed you anything, they got two great players in Jacob Bernard Docker. And, and their Bernard. captain, Jordan Kawaguchi, has signed with the Dallas Stars. So Dallas gets their North Coast captain. Uh, I do want to say this. Uh, John Heyman has just tweeted. I, I know you are a Met fan. I will read it to you. The Mets have stayed in Washington to practice. Major League Baseball will proceed cautiously on the scheduled weekend games in D.C. Health is the primary concern but there are plenty of time to make up games between the division rivals anyway. Um, I, I have to disagree there. You are playing a full 162-game season. When on earth are you going to have time to make up? Not one, not two, but three games with the Washington Nationals. I don't know, and it comes down, and I think that they're taking this cautionary uh, you know, stance with this because of the way the NHL uh, has handled their COVID cases. Look, once there's a case – once somebody goes into contract tracing, once all of that, you know, is undergone, the NHL takes up as much precaution as they possibly can yeah. to have a safe and a fulfilled season. And that's what the MLB is trying to do soon. But as a Mets fan, I hope I get to see some baseball uh, tomorrow at some point and follow that hey, with the wanna, Rangers and the Sabres 7 o'clock tomorrow night. You want to get a good laugh? Tomorrow's starter for the Baltimore Orioles, the Dark Knight. 
Interesting. Interesting. Matt Harvey. <laughs> he, uh, is their, he is their number two starter. And that just goes to show you where they're at pitching wise behind John Means. Uh, and you know what? <laughs> Seven innings, two hits, 15 strikeouts. Matt Harvey uh, in tonight's game of game two. But this has been the Penalty Box Podcast. Liam Godmer, Will Pesek, thank you so much for joining us. Until next week, every Thursday, we're dropping an episode on Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, and uh, of course, do anchor as well. So thanks for joining us until next time on the penalty box podcast.